Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Now preparing hyperdrives. Strap in folks, the nerds have arrived, bringing you the ultimate nerd podcast. Nerds, the worlds of gaming, horror, TV, and film have collided right here. This will be your finest hour. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, in this week's podcast, we're breaking down the latest episode of Ahsoka, and we're also talking Netflix's One Piece. Plus, we discuss the fallout from AEW All Out. Also, if that's not enough show for you, then after the episode, you should check out our Patreon, where starting this month, you will receive our best and worst of the week show, along with our bonus countdowns, reviews, and more, all for the price of $4.99. Plus, we're now also offering a seven-day free trial which will give you access to our 40 plus episodes of bonus content available right now just follow the link in our show notes or simply type in patreon.com slash amazing nerd show and help support our show today but all right with that said let's get into the news every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum we're not mild-mannered reporters we're mere podcasters with opinions warning potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. All right, before we get started, quick show notes. Uh, We're recording early this week on Wednesday, so honestly, there's not much news. Uh, But if some stories pop up as Christian's editing on Thursday, he's promised me that he'll add them in post. Don't worry, I got you all covered. But anyway, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, First up, we've got a huge rumor for the upcoming sequel to The Batman. Scooper My Time to Shine Hello posted this week that a 13-year-old Dick Grayson will be appearing in The Batman Part 2. It's undetermined at this time how significant a role Grayson could have. You know, could this just be a cameo for a future Batman film where he'll return as Robin or are we actually getting a you know origin story here but you know only time will tell so I'm definitely curious to see Matt Reeves take on the boy wonder because I don't know if I don't know if if the idea of a preteen sidekick really works in this cinematic world um but I mean, you could also make that argument for the comics, I guess, uh, <laughs> because just in general, the idea of Batman fighting crime alongside a 12 year old and, you know, dressed in bright red and yellow going up against Gotham's most insane just feels flawed. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but, you know, <laughs> that's comics. So it is what it is. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm curious to see what this looks like, I guess. I could totally see them pulling an origin story during this. Like it just, he happens to run across, you know, Dick Grayson's family yeah, yeah. dying in this one. He decides uh, to take a day trip to the circus and witnesses a horrible accident. And then he mm. decides to adopt a 12 year, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I think part of it too is like this Bruce Wayne's so young. So maybe that's what I'm bumping up against because he's still learning like how to be Batman. So taking, you know, the responsibility on of a teenager and a, a sidekick just feels, I don't know, irresponsible, but you know, maybe that's just, you know, one of his character flaws. Yeah, just but for me, it makes me feel like how many of these films are you planning on, you know, putting out? Because I would ra- rather see that be built up to, you yeah, know, over like, time. There's no rush, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like if you're in it for the long haul um, and you're not planning just like a trilogy, if you will, like why not, you know, give, you know, Bruce some breathing room to like grow as a character and everything. 
And then, you know, he takes on that responsibility of basically raising the child and also training a sidekick <laughs> to fight, you know, Gotham's most vile. All right, moving on, uh, we've got a rumor for the upcoming Captain America Brave New World. It seems in Cap 4, Sam will be on the bench when we first meet back up with him. As Industry Insider, can we get some toast posted this week that the U.S. government and more importantly, the president in the MCU sees Sam Wilson as more for public relations than a tool to protect the country. This reminds me a lot of Steve Rogers being used only for the USO tour rather than being put to use on the battlefield like we saw in his debut film. So I wonder if they're going to play it that way, you know, to do a parallel between the two characters. So, I mean, Sam's military, so I could see him wanting to respect the chain of command, even though I guess he didn't necessarily do that during Civil War. Um, but I could see him, like, taking, you know, the weight of carrying the shield, you know, incredibly seriously and trying to, you know, please everyone. But at the same time, I, I don't feel like that's where Sam was at at the end of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. No, so, he was like, like pretty much saying, y'all need to figure your shit out. I'm going to go save the world. Yeah. So I'm kind of surprised, mm -hmm. you know, if this is a story element in the next film, um, you know, and maybe it's something just brief. You know, it's how, you know, our reintroduction to him and he's like sitting there stuck at a press conference and, you know, he's realizing that this just isn't for him. <laughs> I mean, I guess you know, early on in Steve's career, we've seen him kind of struggle with that, like you pointed out, you know, in, you know, the first Captain America, you know, film. But in the comics also, like, he's kind of struggled with the idea of the symbolic, you know, you know, nature of the mantle of Captain America um, and, you know, taking on all of its responsibilities. So I can understand the story that they're trying to tell and how it's going to eventually cause you know tension between sam and you know his higher ups but i don't know it just feels like almost a step backwards from where we last you know saw sam story-wise where i would rather have the film just kind of hit the ground running because we just dealt with an entire you know tv season of sam you know going back and forth questioning whether or not he even wants to be captain america so now that he's, you know, accepted that responsibility, let's get the show on the road, right? <laughs> I guess. I just don't know if it's a case of like, you know, him trying to get along with our new president, because I, I don't know how long Thunderbolt Ross is going to be in power at this point, since we didn't even see the last president die or uh, get kicked out of office. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously just a plot device to, you know, have the two come at odds, but mm -hmm. I don't know. Like I said, I'd rather just have them hit the ground running and, you know, get the show on the road since, I mean, by the time the film comes out, there's going to be, what, like three to four years in between Falcon and the Winter Soldier and, you know, the movie. So let's go. I'm sure that's not <laughs> what they had intended. No, but at the same time, it just feels like a road we've already traveled. So I don't know. Let's start punching some Nazis already. Come on. You know, I haven't really thought about it. With all these delays and stuff, is there a chance we could catch up to the Marvel like Cinematic Universe's uh, timeline? Because weren't they like five years ahead of us? <laughs> That's true. We, we we possibly could finally catch up because the, the, the whole Marvel timeline is confusing as all hell to me. Uh -huh. With there being four years in between Infinity War and Endgame. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean... 
I mean, I guess that's a, you know, a silver lining <laughs> in all this mess, maybe, kind sure. of. Sure. <laughs> but, I mean, they fuck up the timeline themselves all the time. They did that with uh, Spider-Man uh, Homecoming, you know, where I, so, there was something weird where they placed, you know, the events of New York, like, something, like, crazy, like, eight years prior, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever, um, and I think they actually went back and kind of retconned that. I don't remember what it was because I, I remember they were flashing dates on the screen and it wasn't it wasn't it, lining up. It didn't <laughs> add up at all. It's like that's not how math works, Marvel. Come on. We got a couple extra Marvel stories this week. One being another Marvel Fox star returning for Deadpool three in Liv Schreiber, who played Sabretooth in X Men Origins Wolverine. According to industry insider Daniel Richmond, Schreiber's role will be bigger than a cameo, but not massive to the overall plot. Schreiber Sabretooth was one of the bright spots in that film, so I say this is a welcome return in my book. But we'll have to wait and see what happens. Also, we got details for What If season two's episode count and potential episode titles as the nerd rage podcast took to x posting about nine episodes coming for the series the episodes will reportedly include what if gamora killed thanos what if captain carter finds hydra stopper which is a continuation from season one um what if the tesseract did in and i apologize if i'm saying this wrong hot sani confederacy before the colonization of america which will introduce a new hero in kahori we also have what if hank pym and janet van dyne fought red guardian during 1980s what if Yandu delivered Star-Lord to Ego? Um, what if Happy Hogan saved Christmas, which will be an episode about Iron Man 3? What if Wanda had grown up watching musicals instead of sitcoms, which I feel like will just be a big musical episode? Uh, what if Odin and Hela had faced Wenwu? And what if Avengers had fought Surtur? The series is currently looking at a Christmas release after the recent delays were announced last week. Lastly, on the Marvel front, Sam Raimi is rumored to be the top choice for directing Avengers Secret Wars. This coming from scooper My Time to Shine Hello, Raimi most recently directed Multiverse of Madness, which I believe last week the writer for was actually reported to be cut from working on the Avengers film. So it's a little interesting that they would, you know, still go with Raimi if they had some issues with that film. But these are still just rumors at this time. Outside of Marvel, there was a story that a reboot of The Crow has been picked up by Lionsgate. Deadline reports that the film will star Bill Skarsgård, Danny Houston, Laura Brynn, and Jordan Bulger, along with a couple others, and is to be directed by Rupert Sanders, who's best known for Snow White and the Huntsman films, along with 2017's Ghost in the Shell, which Honestly, neither of those films were all that good, so now I'm a little worried, but Bill Skarsgård in the lead definitely sounds like a good choice, so maybe there is still some hope for this yet. And now for the nerds breakdown of episode 4 of Ahsoka. Heavy spoilers ahead, you have been warned. I didn't need to come to this, but you know no other way. Step away from her! This episode starts right where we left off from last episode as Ahsoka and Sabine are on Setos desperately trying to reach Hera for backup, but the ship's comms array is down on top of being jammed. Sabine goes to update Ahsoka on their situation, but Ahsoka is contemplating the mission ahead. The enemy has everything that they need and could be mere moments away from making the jump to hyperspace. Ahsoka questions if it comes to it 
can Sabine let go of her hunt for Ezra in order to prevent Thrawn's return? Sabine struggles with this, but ultimately tells Ahsoka she can count on her. You're a liar, Sabine. <laughs> this was some heavy foreshadowing. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, you definitely knew. You know, I mean, we talked about this prior, that, that she was most likely going to be put in this situation where she'd have to choose, you know, keeping Thrawn stranded or, you know, rescuing Ezra. But with all that being said, I was definitely still surprised by her choice at the end of the episode. Meanwhile, Balin's droids have discovered Ahsoka's location and report back to Shin and Morak. Balin then sends them off to hold back Ahsoka from stopping the map from being uploaded up to Morgan's ship. Morgan, though, can sense a bit of fear coming from Balin, but he simply writes this off as experience. Back on the ship, Ahsoka finds Sabine frantically getting ready for the fight ahead. Again, Ahsoka questions if she you know, should be worried about Sabine, knowing they face a chance of having to give up on Ezra for the betterment of all. Because in Ahsoka's opinion, the stakes are simply too high. Uh, for me personally, I don't think I needed this conversation and the first conversation. I feel like once was enough. I, I don't need them to double down on, you know, Ahsoka not being able to fully know if she can trust, you know, Sabine. I, I felt like I it, they've got it, the message across in the first conversation. Right. I mean, I get it. I, I feel like she was almost like seeking like solace with the droid, you know, trying to like ease her fears, if you will. But mm. it, it was redundant. Outside the ship, Hu Yang nearly gets things patched up, but is quickly assaulted by an assassin droid. Um, Hu Yang, trying to get Ahsoka's attention, cuts the ship's power, which immediately alerts the two inside, which then Sabine and Ahsoka take out the droid and two other assassins that came with it. And as the two begin to head off for the map, Hu Yang makes one final request for them, and that is to stay together, which they both agree to do. Once again, <laughs> <laughs> they're lying <laughs> because honestly if you look at it like them separating was pretty avoidable and in the long run caused them to lose the battle it's like the complaint i make every time uh you know for yoda and obi-wan it's like just, just fight them together yes. it would have been much easier <laughs> don't you guys watch horror movies don't fucking exactly. split up <laughs> That's how you get your ass killed. You know Yoda is so a horror fan. Like he's he's watching everything. <laughs> Do I? <laughs> Sure, Christian. We cut over to the Republic fleet where one of Hera's men is desperately trying to stop her from leaving. Hera, however, you know, says screw the rules and hops in the ghost to head out to the Denob system. But she's not coming alone. Carson from the Mandalorian, along with Phoenix Squad, join up with Hera and her son as they venture off. And of course, Chopper's there too. This once again was Hera feeling like Hera from Rebels. Uh, which I was happy to see and was a concern I had after the first episode. And I was also excited to see Carson. But now knowing the new status quo between Carson and Din Djurin, the fact that, you know, Din is basically working for Carson. Do you think that means like once Carson gets in trouble, he's going to end up calling Mando in for backup? I'm a big Mando fan. I don't need him in this series. Um, if it does end up being like fucking Mando and a whole bunch of Mandalorians with Ahsoka showing up in this faraway universe um, to save Sabine, I think that would be epic. But I don't necessarily need it. <laughs> no, I, I agree 100%. Um, I am excited to see Sabine interact 
with the Mandalorians. Yes. With that being said, especially with some developments that we'll get into later on in this episode. Um, but I feel like that all can wait to a different series even. Um, I don't need to see it here on this show. Well, I, I mean, I can't wait for the day she gets to meet the armorer. Because, I mean, what? They they practically look at Sabine's actions as the practically the end. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much race. the catalyst. Yeah. Like, her handing <laughs> over the Darksaber all willy-nilly to, you know, Bo. Um, you know, that that's pretty much why they broke away from you know, Mandalore. So, yeah. You're not wrong. With the hyperdrives in place, Morgan begins uploading the map to the Eye of Scion. Balin relents if there is a single miscalculation that they will be lost to space. But Morgan tells him to have some faith, which he says he lost a long time ago. So I'm really loving the Balin character. Um, and we don't know necessarily how his story is going to play out in this series. But, you know, we know that unfortunately it's not going to go much further because of the untimely unfortunate passing of you know ray stevenson um so i'm i'm hoping though that you know maybe you know they you know give us some of that backstory um with the whole like tales of the jedi series you know since we know like it's kind of tailor-made for that you know uh, you know since it focuses on you know a single jedi story during the prequel era because this was really like balin's episode here um it just really highlighted what a great character he is Honestly, I won't be surprised if we just get some answers in next week's episode, uh, but we'll get into that later. Ahsoka and Sabine can then be seen running through the forest, only to end up finding Morak and Hati. Sabine immediately runs down Hati while Ahsoka begins battle with Morak. While Sabine and Hati cut down trees in their fight, Morak tries to do the old spinning Inquisitor lightsaber trick, but Samurai Ahsoka cuts him down quickly when he comes to strike, which for some reason suddenly he bursts out into a cloud of dust from the wound in his suit. All right, so before we get into the dusting of Morak, um, I gotta say, like, the the lightsaber battles, like, this series has been just, like, next level. So, like, whoever they have doing, like, the choreography, you know, and maybe it's the same person, I don't know, but they need to keep them on board. Because um, pretty much, like, every battle's been top-notch. Um, I love Ahsoka, like, leaning into, like, that samurai style. Um, but you know back to the dusting so i'm guessing this has something to do with like night sister witchcraft because we haven't seen many like jedi or sith burst into a cloud of dust before <laughs> so i don't know if this is a case of Morak not even being a real person if he was just like a spell or if like you know like this was an inquisitor that she brought back from the undead or if like maybe he's like an inquisitor that she like brought back from the dead but i gotta say like even though this is such a Star Wars trope at this point, like we're introduced to another badass, awesome looking character <laughs> just to have them get killed off, you know, after an episode or two. Um, I still enjoyed it, you know, and I don't know if it's because we kind of saw this coming. I mean, I think we called this in like the first episode, right? Oh, yeah. 100%. Because so, um, <laughs> it's such a fucking trope at this point. Uh -huh. It's just the Knights of Ren all over again. Um, but yeah, I mean, he went out like a boss, so it's cool. I'm, I'm fine with it. I think a cool concept would be if, you know, she's able to use him like a familiar, like she like just brings him back in different bodies or different like, you know, armor every single time. I'm all for more witchcraft. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I, I know. I mean, the Night Sisters, obviously, 
we got plenty of that, you know, in the Clone Wars, but it's kind of cool seeing, like, you know, if you will, like the space dark arts, you know, <laughs> being played out on the, you know, on the screen. So, um, and it opens up, you know, a huge can of worms of, you know, other possibilities. Could we get a whole, like, you know, zombified army of, like, Sith, you know, or, or stormtroopers? I mean, they've done that in the books. Well, exactly. And I mean, not to go into a whole wormhole here, but, like, they're going to this other universe. You know, could what they bring back be an army of, the, like, an undead alien race that you know that they want to use i i don't know there's a lot of things you could play with there also i guarantee you that morgan has alternative motives too it's not just about bringing back thrawn i wouldn't be surprised if she's not trying to you know bring something else back you know maybe to get revenge you know for her fallen you know night sisters or even you know bring back you know the night sisters well, she better be careful because you can't outplay thrawn <laughs> i'll also say that i did find funny that all that fan speculation just went up into like a puff of smoke <laughs> like one theory i was hearing this week was that it was really ezra underneath the mask oh i was like that would just be stupid uh-huh. <laughs> like it'd be a cool reveal but afterwards if you you know really thought about it it'd make no sense whatsoever but at the same time i understand like that's part of the fun of it right just the insane theories that everyone comes up with you know building you know these series up sabine then tells ahsoka to go on without her as she continues to fight hati hati angered by morak's death though tells sabine she will regret this decision before ahsoka can reach bayland and the map morgan makes her way up to the eye of scion and says that she will send down a shuttle when everything is finished not to nitpick but i have no idea why ahsoka would listen to sabine here because at this point, it's two against one. And you know uh-huh. Ahsoka will totally outclass Shin. So it's like, no, let's just you know take one of our enemies off the board while we can. <laughs> and then we can go together like we said we would. Uh-huh. I felt the same way in the moment. But I, I guess if you run and think about it, like they're running out of time. So maybe that makes sense that like, they would have to separate. But, you know, it, it would have been easy to just take her out real fast. Exactly. Did you see how quickly she took out fucking Marak? So, uh-huh. <laughs> and then, I mean, they wouldn't have to deal with her later on. Ahsoka then approaches Balin, who recalls Anakin speaking highly of her. Balin questions if Anakin's dark path is what led to Ahsoka leaving the Order and Anakin behind, which Ahsoka refuses to answer. Balin speaks of securing the future, but Ahsoka questions why he would want to bring upon war. Balin simply answers to create, you must destroy. So I really enjoyed this interaction. I love that like part of Balin's skill set is to manipulate uh, whoever he's facing off against because during this back and forth like he's totally trying to guilt Ahsoka for what happened with Anakin and him turning to the dark side with like her not actually being there for him like you know kind of putting the blame on her shoulders mm-hmm. um, and we see it later on when he's you know talking to Sabine I mean he's definitely mastered playing you know mind games like all Sith or dark jedi if you will the two spark up and pace each other before ahsoka makes the first move like vader balin uses heavy force strike techniques as you feel the weight of every blow while ahsoka fights with more speed but balin does not have you know the restrictions in motion as vader does and is able to kind of keep up with ahsoka's more acrobatic style there's times where his motions feel very like stiff but i feel like that's because there is no wasted motion whatsoever Mm -hmm. also it felt like he was kind of like using his like precog like abilities to like predict ahsoka's next move um 
you know, because we see that kind of later on when he's facing off against Sabine, where it almost feels like he's predicting where she's going to blast at him before she even, like, you know, pulls the trigger. It really feels like compared to other Jedi and Sith, like, he's a real, like, strong telepath. Like, that's part of his, like, you know, power set, if you will. I mean, choreography-wise, I mean, at times he felt like a horror, you know, villain walking in, just, like, so stiff, yet every little motion is, like, so precise. Exactly. It was, it was very well handled. Yeah, there's no wasted motion whatsoever. Mm. And you're you're 100% right. Like, when he, like, makes a strike, he's swinging for the fences. Because <laughs> it, it's it feels like if he connects with Ahsoka, he's going to split her in two. In the forest, Shinhati is putting Sabine through the ringer. But when put onto the ground, Sabine is able to push Hati with the faintest bit of a force push. Hati annoyed mocks her by telling Sabine that she has no power which Sabine retaliates with some wrist rockets. So do you think she actually did a little force push here or it was more of Shin just flinching? Because I took it as Shin flinching. I watched it a couple times because I, I felt like I could hear the like force sound effect that they usually throw in there. I'm not 100%, but it, it's I feel like it's possible that there was just a little bit of a push. Okay, I guess we'll have to wait and see because it, it mm -hmm. felt like she flinched. <laughs> <laughs> to me at least so and she was more embarrassed than, than anything i did like how sabine then used her mandalorian ingenuity and you know fired off those wrist rockets um but at the same time i was kind of like why didn't you do that from the you know from the get-go but you know it is what it is <laughs> heat of the battle right Ahsoka is eventually able to create some distance as she grabs and pulls the map from its pedestal, stopping the upload right in time, though this sends a thunderous crack across the sky, and Hati uses a smoke bomb to run back to her master, with Sabine of course chasing. Ahsoka sees Hati return before Sabine and assumes Sabine has died. As Balin commands Hati to retrieve the map, Ahsoka force throws her into a stone. Sabine then makes her entrance and Ahsoka tells her to destroy the map, but as she does, Balin strikes her right off the side of a cliff. And that's exactly why they shouldn't have separated, right? <laughs> they stuck together. Ahsoka would have known that Sabine's not dead, right? <laughs> but since they separated, since she didn't see Sabine come back with, you know, Shin, she thought she was dead. And this is exactly why they should have listened to Hugh Yang and not separate. So, of course, Ahsoka assumed the worst. And, you know, for the first time in this series registered some emotion and we saw her like tap into this rage that we haven't seen in a while uh and it cost her the battle pretty much and, and maybe her life sabine with map in hand can't seem to get herself to destroy it as it's her only way to azra balin immediately picks up on this and seems to tap into the force to understand why as sabine holds the map hostage balin makes her an offer um, that he will spare her life and bring her to ezra as he is the only one that truly can and this seems to actually break down what's left of sabine's resolve as she gives balin the map so there's one line that Balin says to Sabine that really like stuck out to me and something that I just didn't think about, I guess, is the fact that, you know, she is alone now, like her, you know, biological family is dead because of the events of, you know, the Night of a Thousand Tears, um, because, you know, during Rebels that that takes place, you know, prior to that event. So mm -hmm. it definitely feels like he's trying to tap into that guilt you know, maybe of her, like, not being there. Because he also says something like, you know, because your master didn't trust you, you couldn't, you know, save your people, your family. I'm paraphrasing. 
I was like, well, what does that mean? Was there a moment where Sabine wanted to go, you know, save her planet or, you know, family and Ahsoka somehow got in her way? I mean, to me, it didn't feel like just a throwaway line. So maybe like it has something to do with like why Ahsoka and Sabine grew estranged, you know, eventually. I mean, it's definitely building towards hopefully some backstory being shown for what happened the first time they, they trained. I'm just not 100% like I don't I don't know if I trust them yet, you know, like that they're going to actually give us a real like what went down between these two in the future. And I don't need you like know? I don't need a flashback scene or anything like that. I just no, need I, a couple a lines of dialogue, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Some kind of explanation because that I mean that that's a pretty fucking heavy line, right? Yeah. <laughs> But with that being said, like at the same time, you would think that Sabine would have, you know, a lot of resentment built up then towards Ahsoka. So maybe I'm reading like way too much into it. But once again, it does get me excited to eventually see Sabine interact with the rest of the Mandalorians. As Balin reactivates the map and sends the last bit of data to the Eye of Scion, Hati force chokes Sabine. But Balin is a man of his word and Hati stands down. And with that, Morgan sends the shuttle down to pick them up. All while Balin destroys the map so no one can follow them. So yeah, I was really surprised, you know, by the fact that she actually handed him over the map but it just shows you just how broken and desperate she is at this point and probably like how alone she actually feels this is absolutely a wrinkle in the story that i did not see coming but this is also when Hera and company make their way out of hyperspace and get on comms with hu yang who is unaware of what's actually happened now with ahsoka and sabine as Hera and phoenix squad approach the eye of scion morgan has the ship begin charging up to go into hyperspace sabine watches on in horror as Hera and the phoenix squad aren't able to move out of the way in time as they blast off into hyperspace luckily this doesn't kill everyone like the holdo maneuver did because Hera and Carson and a couple others are able to make it but some of the ships do blow up. Hera's son Jason then claims he's beginning to have a bad feeling. I was waiting for Hera to be like no shit. Exactly. <laughs> Doesn't take the force to see that you know the shit's at the fan. <laughs> yeah I was totally waiting for them to cut to a scene of Carson you know picking up his space phone and calling Mando. It makes sense, but they don't know where they're going yet. And I don't know how they're going to, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how they're going to get there. Well, I've got, a, I've got a theory. So we'll, we'll get to we it. We then pan down to the cliffs where Ahsoka fell. There's no sign of Ahsoka here on the surface though. And then as the water fades away, we find Ahsoka in what seems to be the world between worlds, which is a space that links all moments in time and space together through the force. Standing on the platform, she then hears a familiar voice call out to her as she turns to face her former master, Anakin, as our episode comes to a close with Vader's theme playing. So even though we knew that Hayden Christensen was going to be in this series. Um, I still got chills when I heard him say hello, Snips. Uh, pretty fucking awesome. I mean, this is the first like live action, you know, moment between these two characters we've ever, you know, gotten on the screen. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So it was just pretty cool to see. Uh, they did a much better job with the makeup or CGI this time around compared to like the Obi-Wan series, um, he looked very much akin to, you know, Anakin from Revenge of the Sith, at least. With that being said, I have no idea what the hell any of this means. You know, like, is Ahsoka dead? 
did she you know how did she all of a sudden access the world between worlds because that doesn't feel like how this all worked in rebels um you know this wouldn't be the first time ahsoka's died in a series though she i mean she died in clone wars and was brought back you know to life by was it the daughter or something like that there was the weird story where they're in that other realm with like the family that represents all the different sides all of the, the force, yeah, right? the force yeah. but like ever since that like episode like there's always been kind of like this mystical side of ahsoka she's always had the that bird that <laughs> that mystical bird <laughs> I, I don't remember its name um you know following her kind of like we've seen it make like sporadic like appearances here and there so like there's some mysticism to the character so i don't know if this is all part of that um you know she was originally saved by ezra using the world between worlds you know he rescued her actually like while she was battling vader you know in that now classic episode you know of rebels um you know right before you know she's i guess struck down um you know and then she basically is off the board we the, like we don't see her again until the finale of rebels so we have no idea like where she is in between you know those you know two episodes mm -hmm. um you know which i i feel like that right that episode takes place in season two i think so you know so i mean and there was four seasons of rebels so like there's a good portion of time where we don't know where ahsoka you know was or you know what she was doing because we just see her like you know wander out of the you know rubble of that temple you know at the end but before we get into the anakin of things um you know my theory that i briefly mentioned maybe she uses the world between worlds to go back to the moment um you know before maybe balin even uploads the map again um or you know she uses it to get to you know whatever faraway galaxy you know that they're headed in because otherwise you're right like i have no idea how the fuck <laughs> they're gonna get <laughs> to where they're at right like they'd have to figure out how to you know use the scion again my only other guess was like maybe there's some way to track sabine you know across space and time but it's like still it's like this is only pathways that the whales know how to use you know that's how they were able to that's why they needed that special map and all that shit are we totally going to get a moment of like ahsoka riding a space whale is that what's going to happen here <laughs> very big chance <laughs> that sounds very felony uh -huh. uh. <laughs> he loves this fucking purgle now but back to anakin um because that's probably the bigger development right mm -hmm. do you really think this is anakin he doesn't feel like a force ghost right no i mean he's not see-through at all yes. um <laughs> he's not all you know blue glowy He's also not, you know, fully wearing like robes like he did when we first see him, yeah. you know, even in the remastered version. Um, as a force ghost, yeah. As a force ghost. I don't know. Um, but this is, know there's like, no way this is actually Anakin, though. Like he somehow accessed the world between worlds and like this is actually Anakin, like from Revenge of the Sith. There's, oh, I don't feel no, like that's no. a possibility. But I mean using the concept of the world between worlds that, that could actually be something that happens but i just don't feel like they're gonna head down that road it's like there's way too many things that like would ruin i feel like the continuity of star wars if anakin had access to the world between worlds especially during that time period where he's at his most like fearful of padme's death and 
know, what he would be trying to do at that point with that kind of power. Yeah, there's no way he's in the state of mind to like, oh, I need to go save Ahsoka in the future, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> mm. <laughs> that feels like too much of a hard turn for what's happening, you know, timeline wise with that character, you know, at that point. So, um, yeah, so I have I have no clue. But with that being said, I do feel like episode five is going to be like a total fever dream where we're going to get like a ghosts of Christmas past, like kind of scenario happening with Ahsoka and Anakin. Like, I doubt this is actually Anakin. I feel like this is somehow like an embodiment of her like regret and maybe like guilt, especially mm. with them like ending the scene with Vader's theme. <laughs> um, we've heard rumors that they like shot some kind of like battle between Ahsoka and Vader on Mustafar. Um, I'm guessing this is all connected to, you know, the world between worlds. I really kind of thought it was going to be more akin to like Luke on like Dagobah, you know, when he faces off against Vader. But I don't know, like I really have no clue. I'm just excited to see how it all like plays out. I mean, she's going to literally wrestle with her with her demons it sounds like in the next episode. exactly exactly so i thought this was fantastic it was probably you know one of the best like disney plus offerings that we've got it you know from any of the series no and i felt like they built up to it properly you know like i didn't feel like they wasted any you know momentum getting to this episode and getting to this fight like also i feel like we've seen now everything from the trailers except for thrawn yeah, you know, like I think that was the only exception to what we've seen out of all the footage from the trailer. So everything going forward was definitely going to be a big mystery. <laughs> no, you're right. And that Thrawn moment, it's really brief. So you're uh -huh. you're right. Like we we're flying blind now, uh, which I like, especially since we're like at the official like halfway point. So we got four episodes left. Um, but like like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if next episode is totally just you know, Ahsoka and you know Attican in the world between worlds um watch we were right all along and it is carson calling mando <laughs> and we get our traditional like mando break in one of these <laughs> for one of these shows oh, <laughs> that'd be just one episode of just mando and baby yoda you know and all the hijinks that ensues it'll be a fun watch but it'll be disappointing to <laughs> oh, take away from Ahsoka like that just kill the momentum of the whole series mm -hmm. and i love me some mando but no you're you're 100 right <laughs> but i'm still a little scared but man dave filoni is just killing it you know they need to give him more series honestly because this is the first series completely helmed just by him like he's the showrunner i think actually it's the next episode that he's directing so i don't know if he oh, okay. did the first two but i know like the next episode is all him so um, yeah, they need they need to give the guy the keys to the castle, honestly, at this point. Perhaps he's the Kevin Feige they've been looking for. But anyway, uh, make sure to join us next week as we break down episode five of Ahsoka. And now for the nerds' first impressions of One Piece on Netflix. King of the Pirates, eh? Some treacherous path. If the path seems too easy, then you're on the wrong path. Piracy is a scourge upon this world. We will capture them, and they will be brought to justice. Hit the deck! This week I got a chance to check out some of Netflix's live action One Piece series, and my God, has Netflix 
finally broken its curse of you know bad live action remakes one piece in the anime community at least is a massive series that has been airing on tv since i was a kid and still going strong to this day while i may have fallen off the series the anime community holds one piece to a high praise and after poor reviews for netflix's attempt at doing you know cowboy bebop which is probably one of the greatest animes of all time fear and dread surrounded you know this series you know what could possibly come to screen for netflix with such a beloved show but i'm happy to say that this actually feels like a truly faithful adaptation with the cast and crew paying close attention to the smallest of details in this fantastic series about a world of pirates what impressed me the most was luffy and his rubber body. The CGI here was gonna be a make or break effect for this entire series, but it's some of the most lifelike stretchy skin I've seen done in cinema. I mean, the MCU needs to take notice here with Reed Richards definitely coming soon, as Luffy using all of his signature moves looks damn near flawless. And luckily this seems to translate to their other super powered foes as well. For years, live action remakes have you know tried to simplify and or make a more real world version of the anime of their animated counterparts but luffy and his crew feel like they have been pulled straight out of the anime and manga you know from their looks to effects along with solid performances to boot my only real criticism for this so far has been sometimes the fight sequences look a little slow in my opinion like i'm watching them go through the paces of their very choreographed fight sequences in a way that feels more like a dance than it actually feels like a fight in general. However, I do enjoy the fact that Netflix is simply not afraid of blood, as this series almost you know, has a little bit of that Witcher brutality to it when it comes to swordplay, which I think gives it a cool edge on top of its more whimsical story. Um, for people who have never heard of One Piece, I think this adaptation is a fair entry point and will be easy to follow in my opinion. Um, the episodes condense the story without losing the major beats that fans will come to remember you know, from the earlier points in the stories. And to be honest, I was pretty surprised that the episodes were near an hour long as the first episode itself felt like a feature length film. Um, but all in all, this is so far looking like a real win for Netflix. And if you've you know been on the fence about checking this out, I highly recommend it. We'll have to do a review later on once I actually do finish the series. But for now, I definitely say go ahead and check out Netflix's One Piece. All right, before we move on, I'm happy to announce we have a brand new partner this month, AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Let me tell you, once I turned 40, I started to fall apart. So I was literally trying everything to help me hold it together. But I was getting tired of taking so many supplements and I wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional bases every day. I wanted better gut health, a boost in energy and immune system support. But I hated taking vitamins every single day and I wanted a supplement that actually tasted great. And that's when I discovered AG1. I've started drinking AG1 every morning before starting my day and it genuinely feels like I'm doing something good for my body, especially as a gamer trying to be more active. It feels like I'm finally giving my body the nutrition it craves. Plus, I found it difficult trying to keep up with other routines due to them having several different products involved. But AG1 replaces your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. Since I've been drinking AG1, I've noticed an overall feeling of health. I'm no longer too exhausted after work to play with my daughter 
or help her with her homework. AG1 helped boost my energy, help my focus and mental clarity, and even help improve my digestion. And that's all due to its science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food source nutrients. AG1 helps you build your health foundation first. Why take a bunch of different things when you can just mix one scoop of powder in water once a day? AG1 was designed with ease in mind so you can live healthier and better without having to complicate your routine. And what I love about AG1 is that it's delivered to me every month, so it's been super easy to make it a daily habit. I also get the single serving AG1 travel packs, so I never have to miss a day. I just mix the powder into ice cold water and drink it first thing every morning, and that's it. With AG1, taking good care of your body every day is really that simple. If you wanna take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is head over to drinkag1.com slash nerdshow. Once again, to get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase, all you have to do is go to drinkag1.com slash nerdshow. That's drinkag1.com slash nerdshow and check it out. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. All right, so this week in gaming, it seems that the SAG after strike may be coming for the games industry as well, as voting has begun to authorize a separate strike against game studios over similar issues with the implementation of AI and the overall, you know, use of wealth across multiple companies there. Uh, Franz Dresser pointed out that the 10 companies who have signed with SAG have earned over 19 billion in global revenue while continuing to keep pay for actors as low as they can, pretty much mirroring what we're seeing from the TV and film landscape. And with you know price hikes recently, you'd hope that that money is going down to the developers and actors, but that's probably not the case. While the last thing I want as a gamer is to see some of these games that already take five plus years to come out get you know further delayed it only makes sense that if the games industry's biggest companies are going to act the same way um, as movie execs uh, then a strike is definitely going to be needed here. Uh, voice acting and mocap actors are grossly underpaid as it is. And I have to agree with um, SAG-AFTRA's you know, goal of having a unified front because you don't want any type of you know leeway on any side. And honestly, it's a long time coming for the games industry as well. Hopefully voice actors across the board from animation to video games to you know further than that, wherever they are, uh, can start you know angling for better pay in general because you know they too will face the same issues with ai eventually as well you know really the time is now to do all this uh, might as well do it hand in hand with everyone else that is striking but as far as gaming goes for me um i will not be here this weekend um, i'm going out of town to visit my grandfather like i like i announced on last week's episode so we will be live um hopefully next week uh at some time uh, mostly like monday or tuesday uh, we'll see what happens uh just depends on what's going on in my life but we are still playing starfield field um and we will be getting back into some other games at some point as well so make sure to check us out on twitch uh, we have about like five streams of starfield already up if you want to catch up with our you know adventures of captain christian um all right with that said let's go ahead and move on to some wrestling that was a point beautifully made except there's one problem with it and it's that you would think that i just think that you're a kid that you are diminutive that I thought of you in just that sense. I didn't think of you as a kid when I pushed you. I didn't think of you as somebody that I couldn't do whatever I wanted to when I shoved you into that wall. You know what I thought about you? I didn't think you were a kid, Max. 
I thought you were a little bitch. So it would be an absolute understatement to say that a lot has changed since the last time we recorded and talked about AEW. Um, I believe last week when we were done with the podcast, you know, Punk was suspended. So was Jungle Boy due to the events that took place at All In, Um, you know, their little brouhaha, their little dust up. Uh, uh-huh. Since then, there were quite a bit of details that, you know, came out uh, that even included, I guess, CM Punk lunging at Tony Khan. Um, this actually was like saw by multiple witnesses uh, who weren't necessarily AEW affiliated um, and, you know, caught on tape. So, because I guess there were a lot of cameras backstage, because this all took place in grill position. Um, due to all of this, though, we found out on Saturday, it was announced that CM Punk has been fired by AEW with cause. Um, holy shit. Um, I definitely <laughs> didn't see that coming. Um now, at the time that we recorded, obviously, we didn't have those details. But yes, threatening to, like, you know, physically hurt your boss, that will definitely do it. Like, that's going to get you fired, <laughs> you know, from any Sounds job. Right. But, I mean, let's be honest. Like, Punk in this whole situation has been a powder keg ever since he's come back. I mean, and it's... It's just absolutely ridiculous because, I mean, they bent over backwards for the guy. They literally gave him his own show with his pick of the roster. They were allowing him to ban people, even higher up, like, you know, high ranking executives from the backstage area. I mean, week after week, we had him either like shooting on people like in the after show um, or, you know, just more and more stories leaking of his conduct backstage, um, you know, getting into the face of people like Ryan Nemeth or Jungle Boy. Um, there was even a story that came out this week that when Regal uh, debuted with AEW, uh, I guess him and Punk had some kind of like issue where Punk got into Regal's face and told him that he was a Triple H stooge and that he didn't trust him. I'll be totally honest, like, I don't want to talk too much about Punk. Like, I love him as a wrestler, but I'm going to kind of echo something that, like, Kevin Nash said this week and something that I I think I mentioned to you, like, off mic. I truly believe, like, this is, like, a mental health issue. um, Because these aren't the actions of a like well-balanced human being like something else is going on here like you don't show up to work wanting to fight everybody like um you know so i don't want to make light of it um i just hope that he gets the hope that he needs um because the fact that like everything happened with brawl out and like he still didn't learn anything and, it, you know, and like I said, was handed the keys to the castle, getting his own show. And he still found a way to self-destruct. Like, I don't know, like something else is going on here. It just feels like. So I 100% believe Tony Khan made the right decision, obviously. Um, 
you know, because at the end of the day, you have to feel safe at work. Um, I, I applaud Tony for getting out ahead of it because he really could have done the safe thing and waited to make the announcement after this weekend since, you know, Collision and All Out's taking place in Chicago. Um, but, you know, he chose to face the music and, you know, stand by, you, you know, his decision and, you know, tell the people face to face. Cause he literally, you know, not only did we get that like pre-recorded, that awful pre-recorded <laughs> segment with him, like, you know, telling people at home exactly, you know, what happened and everything like that on, you know, Saturday night on collision. But before the show even started, he actually went out, you know, in front of the audience, you know, and took the heat. And I think that really helps like the show from not being completely like hijacked um, you know, so I mean, it just takes a lot of balls. Definitely questioning some of the verbiage that he was using. It felt a little over the top saying that, like, he felt like his life was being threatened. Um, but a lot of people pointed out that this might be more of a legal matter. Um, and that's why he chose to use that verbiage. Like maybe a, a lawyer perhaps wrote his speech, which I could totally see. Um, especially since they're letting him go due to cause, um, they might have a legal battle on their hands eventually. Because if someone's fired with cause, that means they don't have to pay out your contract. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm guessing there was some legality, if you will, you know, surrounding that statement. So, um, but I don't know. What were your feelings on the situation, Christian? I and mean, we said it earlier on, like in the year, it's like if he's going to be a cancer for the company, then you're going to have to cut him out. You know, as much as we all love Punk uh, for the years of great wrestling and great promos and all that, if it's not going to work out, if it's going to make a toxic environment, you can't have that, especially in such a young company. Um, it's just not going to work out. Um, I, I agree with you. It was right for them to come out ahead with, you know, Tony, you know, saying everything because, you know, the rest of that weekend, if they hadn't said anything, it would have just been punk chance, you know, for two whole shows, um, especially the pay-per-view show, uh, which I was surprised even still didn't happen. Like even there was, there were still people there supporting punk gear, but no one was really, you know, going hard at all out. Yeah. Uh, saying like, where's Pong? And I guess they did like confiscate like some science and stuff like that. But you're right. Like we didn't really hear many chants except for like maybe during the Young Bucks match. Mm -hmm. um, but that's pretty much it. Like Hangman got cheered. Omega got cheered. Um, yeah. So I was actually proud of Chicago, you know, being from <laughs> the area because I was like, man, like, come on, like enough's enough. Like, I understand, like, you know, he's our guy, and he'll, he'll still be our guy regardless, but, I mean, there's no way you could think that he's in the right with mm -hmm. the situation, so. And like you, like, I've pretty much loved everything that he's done with AEW on the screen, but if he's creating such a toxic environment that people don't even want to go to work anymore, or people don't feel safe at work, then it's just, it's not worth it, you know? Um, you know, and like, I cringe even saying that, like, people aren't safe at work, but like, if this dude is like getting in people's faces and like literally challenging people that he, you know, doesn't see eye to eye with, you know, to fights, I mean, it's just insanity. Like, it's not fucking 1984. Like, you're not, exactly. you know, 
he's not one of the Steiners or fucking, you know, the British Bulldogs. Like, what are we doing? Like, we're past that point nowadays. I mean, he's a 45-year-old man once again. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he's trying to have dust-ups with, you know, people half of his age. Um, It's like he didn't get the fucking UFC bug out of his system. Like, I don't understand what's going on here. And even more egregious is the fact that he's, like, literally banning people from backstage higher up like executives like you, you know the, the head of your talent relations like that makes no sense whatsoever um you know and like part of the blame has to fall in tony khan's lap for letting it get you know this far um you know and not nipping this in the ass from the get-go um because he obviously gave him way too much power mm-hmm. but you know, at the end of the day, Tony didn't make the right call. So I have to give him his flowers, too. So um, I don't know. I don't know. So, I mean, and I will say, like, the pay-per-view felt therapeutic um, at the end of the night. Um, it felt like everyone really, like, rallied. And this was one of the better pay-per-views in a while. So I actually enjoyed this pay-per-view probably more than All In. I mean, it's got like three matches on it that I, I feel like are in the running for match of the year. I mean, I don't know about you, but like the, the Danielson-Starks match was probably the best strap match I've ever seen. You're probably right there. Uh, I can't remember, you know, beyond like what we would get in like early 2000s with what, uh, JBL. I can't imagine like oh, how many the matches JBL, we've seen. Uh, Guerrero match. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, it was definitely more of a staple you know, with like NWA and, you know, Mm -hmm. Memphis and stuff like that. It's not something that like WWE, you know, leaned heavy into. It wasn't a big, you know, gimmick for them. Well, I guess like Chief, like Jay Strombo had a bunch of fucking like strap matches back in the day too. But, you know, modern WWE, you didn't really get many strap matches. If you got a modern one, it would be the running to the corners. Mostly 90% of the match. Yeah. I (laughs) fucking hate that version. So I was glad that that wasn't this. But this this is kind of Uh, what we were talking about last week, though, where, you know, we looked at the card and we're like, they've got to come up with a solution here to replace the Punk-Starks match. You know, like... He's got to go to the old, like, McMahon adage, like, if you have to replace a a match, you know, and pivot to something else, it's got to be as good, if not bigger, than what you promised initially. And he delivered. Like, I I thought it was a huge surprise. I did not see, you know, (laughs) Brian Danielson coming out and, you know, you know, taking up the mantle for Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Um, you know, I knew someone was obviously going to be like, you know, defending his honor. Um, but you know, from all accounts, you know, Brian was still months away from returning to the company. So it was a pleasant surprise seeing him on the show. And I guess, you know, from his comments during the press conference afterwards, it looks like collision is going to be his home from now on. Um, but we're also hearing reports that this whole like soft brand split now that punk is gone is probably ending and we're going to see a lot more like crossover from like you know talent on dynamite to collision which i think is a good idea yeah as long as they still promote the wrestlers that they have you know they still they don't get lost in the shuffle there as much you know because i i'm enjoying seeing you know jay white every week and miro and everything like that so yes like still have your featured wrestlers there i Mm -hmm. 100 percent agree but there's been times on that show where it feels like they have a roster of like 20 like it feels really thin 
And I don't know if it was just a case of Punk only allowing a chosen few <laughs> to, you know, be on the show. Um, but, like, I'm fine with, like, the Bucks having an angle on the show that only plays out on Collision. Or, you know, Kenny Omega or Hangman Page. Um, you know, have some key players, but, you know, once in a while, let's have some crossover and see, you know, some of the other main eventers, you know, show up and, you know, have featured angles, you know, week to week. Because they're definitely going to need the help ratings-wise. Because um, I guess I guess there was a metric out there that showed that, like, once, like, uh, Tony Khan came on, made the announcement about Punk, you know, being fired, like, something like 85,000 people tuned out directly <laughs> afterwards. They literally had the lowest rated collision this past weekend. Uh, since the show's inception now they were going up against wwe payback and there was also a big college football game i guess um but the fact that they could actually track eighty-five thousand people tuning out <laughs> definitely tells you that you know punk did have drawing power mm-hmm. so it does matter that you know he's gone from that show that was his show so they're gonna have to replace him and you know brian's kind of the perfect candidate to do so I feel like kind of similar to what we got last time. It's, you know, BCC is going to become, you know, the collision, you know, group, you know? Yeah. I mean, they're going to be running the show. (laughs) I'm all for uh, BCC versus Bullet Club Gold. That'd be a fun feud. That'd be a fun feud. Yeah. Right. And I guess Brian is a a baby face again. (laughs) I mean, he said in that interview, like, yeah, he goes back and forth. I mean, it, it fits because, like, you know, we've seen him defend you know legends the, before the on the show of regal right yes um mm-hmm. i guess but it is a little jarring like the last time we <laughs> saw him he was stabbing someone in the forehead with a screwdriver and then he's coming to the aid of this you know hall of fame wrestler listen he's not a one-dimensional character here he's got a duality hey, to him, all right i like dimension <laughs> i like depth that's totally fine with me um but yeah no i mean he makes anything he you know any show that he's on better so hmm. I, i'm totally fine with that um and he totally made ricky starks in this match um you know he was well on his way but i mean this definitely felt like it could be a huge road bump you know a speed bump for you know starks and his momentum um but you know after this match i mean sky's the limit i mean the dude is legit um i'm, I'm glad that he's back on track it feels like, you know, they're going to actually follow up with this for once. I mean, a lot of times we see like wrestlers, you know, at that mid card level, you know, get big wins and they just kind of like, you know, disappear for a month at a time. But um, this past weekend, Dynamite, you know, he had a huge promo and everything like that. You know, they show plenty of highlights. So it feels like they're going to capitalize on, you know, what happened at All Out, uh, which is a good thing. So, because that's definitely been an issue with the company in the past, especially mm-hmm. with Ricky Starks. So, um, but, but anyway, any other pay per view thoughts? Um, you know, we don't usually review the pay per views, you know, since, you know, with our schedule, usually by the time we record again, it's a week later. So, what's the yeah. point? Um, but, you know, any other favorite matches? Oh, well, I'm, Moxley versus Orange Cassidy has to be mentioned at least. I mean, I was. That was an emotional match by the end. Yes. And I'm glad, like, um, personally, I'm glad that the best friends didn't come out, you know, while Orange Cassidy was, like, you know, left in the ring. 
I like being able to see him stand there on his own after. I mean, even if he fell back down, just being able to stand up once after that beatdown from Moxley, I thought was a was a good moment, at least for Orange yeah. Cassidy. Yeah, he deserved the spotlight at that time and everything mm. like that. Because even Moxley got out of the ring, you know, and allowed the fans, you know, to give him standing O. So, and that's actually how Dynamite started this week uh, with Orange coming out and, you know, getting the adulation of the fans and everything like that. Because he cut like maybe a two second promo and that was it. <laughs> uh, but no, it was a great way to end his run. Um, mm-hmm. I was surprised to see him lose. I, I thought maybe he would go over here. But I mean, he went over in losing, you know, you know, in the long run. So uh, and I think he's really like cemented himself as a main event star for the company. Now, once again, I want to see them follow up. I mean, it was a good start to see him featured on the show, um, you know, especially in the opening and everything like that. Um, But let's let's capitalize on this momentum. Um, You know, I want to see him in the main event title picture. So hopefully that happens. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't continue the feud with Moxley too, because his Moxley's you know music did hit like right after his promo and everything, uh, while Orange was you know heading up the ramp and you know Orange did do the glance back. So we'll see what happens there. Um, if anything, like you know, have him get involved with the TNT title maybe, um, but. I mean, it's kind of rough for him right now just because you got MJF as a baby face um, where, you know, if MJF was still heel, I could definitely see, you know, him getting like at least a pay-per-view match um, with him. But, you know, I I don't know if that's necessarily in the cards right now. Um, But anyway, yeah, no, I agree 100 percent, though. The Moxley orange match, that was definitely I like for me, I think I have to go with the strap match as my match of the night. But, you know, a close second would definitely be the Moxley orange match. Um, I was also super excited for the Omega Takeshita match. And I was I was so happy that Takeshita actually went over yes. mm-hmm. um, uh, on Dynamite. And we're not going to do a full breakdown of Dynamite either. You know, since we've got the punk, we had the punk situation to talk about. But on Dynamite, they did do a little bit of a follow up with Takeshi and everything like that. You know, with Callis talking about how he's going to unveil his new uh, masterpiece uh, with Takeshi next week. So I don't know if this is going to be another family member. Uh, there was another portrait there covered by a canvas. So who knows what the hell's going on? I'm sure the feud between Takeshi and Omega isn't over, though. So um, I, I'm guessing that, you know, Omega's going to eventually get his win back. But this was the win that I feel like Takeshi needed to, like, you know, elevate him, you know, to the upper mid-card at least. So, um, but I want to see him, you know, have some bangers now, you know, even away from, you know, Omega. Let's let's feature him weekly and really build him up as a huge superstar. Because, I mean, he is right so mm-hmm. um let's capitalize they on need it. to at least in you know introduce the next person to the family if they're going to yes. do a don Stop family. calling their family if it's only one person yeah. <laughs> now on dynamite we had um callus out there for the jericho guevara the lesex gods uh versus um, aussie open um you know we had callus last week um confront guevara um, talking him up big time. It seemed like he was trying to recruit him. So we'll see if there's some follow up there. Because even with, you know, the sex gods going over Aussie Open, 
uh, they still ended the night, like, you know, at each other's throats. Um, there was a little push, you know, back and forth, and then Sammy jumped out of the ring and went through the crowd. So we're, you know, basically in store for a feud, um, you know, sooner than later. So I'm just wondering if Callus is going to be part of it. And, you know, I'm guessing that's going to be the case, though, since he was doing commentary during the match. Um, I don't know about Sammy. You know, like, you know, joining up with him just because, I don't know, like, I felt like he's kind of on this road to be a babyface again. So we're going to really go backwards and have him be like another person's flunky. Like, that feels like kind of like the crutch of this whole feud with Jericho, right? Um, I know he's loyal to a fault and they're really playing up that angle, but I don't know. Like, let's do something different. It just feels like the same storyline over and over again with Sammy. <laughs> so, and I know a lot of people aren't high on him just because of, like, outside of the ring stuff. But, uh, I mean, he's extremely talented, so let's not waste that. You know, just as long as he, you know, doesn't turn into another punk. Uh, you know, it's... I don't think I don't think he's I don't think he's close to being a CM Punk. Come on now. <laughs> no, but I mean, he has had how many just random almost altercations in the back of this Who, point. was it there's andrade right andrade and i oh, think there was kingston. two others yeah was it kingston yeah kingston was one uh yeah but it sounds like andrade was just trying to get himself fired so <laughs> probably i don't know <laughs> um yeah no i i agree you know he's obviously had his issues but hopefully he's learned right he's still young um and maybe he's learned from punk's example right um hopefully hopefully the right lessons so um and you didn't actually watch dynamite this week so i'm kind of flying no, solo here to. um because once again we're recording on wednesday so um but yeah otherwise on the card i mean this this whole dynamite was all about resetting the table um a lot of key players weren't on the show there were no bucks there was no omega um no FTR, no like Britt Baker or even Soraya, I think. So the roster definitely felt a little thin. Um, Moxley uh, defended the you know title against AR Fox, the uh, international title. Um, Air Fox apparently has blackmail on Tony Khan, or you know he's taken basically over the Jay Lethal role, where for some reason he's getting title matches week after week for no rhyme or reason. <laughs> Because I swear to God, Honestly, this is shouldn't. like his sixth title match. Uh-huh. You know, like, I mean, I miss the rankings at this point. Enough's <laughs> enough. Like, they're, you know, it's underneath the guise of like, oh, well, this was an open uh, challenge. It's like, okay, but like, I, I, there's so many other wrestlers in the back. Like, we can't give someone else a shot here. Um, You know, because like at this point, like, does anyone believe that he's a worthy contender? Like, after seeing him lose multiple title matches week after week, it, it becomes a case of it just being, like, a glorified enhancement match. And that's what it mm. felt like. Like, I get it story-wise. It's their way of continuing the whole Darby Allen nick Wayne story. Um, because Darby did walk AR Fox out, and then he was there to greet him at the end of the match. Um, you know, with Nick Wayne looking on. Um I'm guessing that we're going to eventually get a Nick Wayne heel turn because um, he's still very, you know, disillusioned on why Darby is kind of like forgiving 
Air Fox after, you know, he showed up to Nick Wayne's, you know, training facility and basically mugged him along yeah, with which Swerve. Makes sense. <laughs> Why he would be still upset about that? Yes, a hundred percent. He literally lay, you know, laid him out and left him in a pool of blood. Um and you know, Darby after a couple weeks just forgives the dude. Um so um but speaking of which we did have Nick Wayne versus Darby, uh and that was the start of our world title eliminator tournament, uh, which the winner is going to actually get a match against MJF at Grand Slam, which is just a couple weeks away, which is crazy. Because not only do we have Grand Slam on the horizon, but we also have Wrestle Dream, which is like October 1st. So we're almost going to have another like all out, all in situation with like mm. back to back, like big shows. I mean, Grand Slam's not a pay-per-view or anything like that, but it is one of their bigger, like, TV cards of the year. I mean, they year. practically treat it like one, so... Yes, yes. Um, the tournament, it's pretty predictable. Um, it's either... It's probably going to end up being Roderick Strong versus Samoa Joe in the finals. I'm not sure who's going to win. I'm guessing Samoa Joe. Uh, but Roderick Strong uh, wrestled against Trent um in one of the brackets which like right away on paper you're like okay strong's going over here we know he's got a feud with mjf so it just makes sense and like due to the interaction at the pay-per-view with you know joe giving mjf a shove after his match and then mjf like running you know and attacking joe in the ring um all stemming from a clip from nxt multiple years ago <laughs> that i think classic clip it is a classic, classic clip where like mjf is you know being security for you know samoa joe a very young mjf uh and joe gives him a little shove backstage i mean it's definitely storytelling aimed at like hardcore fans but i mean it's a simple enough story that i feel like anyone could understand from the get-go so um but yeah, with that being said, uh, we had MJF and Samoa Joe have a great back and forth in the ring at Dynamite. Um, they're both magic on the mic. I will say this is probably the first time that MJF felt like a legit baby face because like this whole angle is taking place outside of the Adam Cole, you know, situation. So and he was definitely playing up to the crowd and everything like that. Uh, while Joe was playing the dastardly heel that everyone secretly loves. I don't know, it was, it was definitely a segment that got me excited, you know, for the match. Um, I'm assuming it's either taking place on Grand Slam or Russell Dream. Most likely Grand Slam, though. You know, and I can easily see this storyline, which I, I feel like I say this every time uh, now, but uh, I can easily see this storyline devolving into a triple threat between the three of them. I feel like Roderick would maybe screw over Samoa Joe in some form or fashion, and, and that could add him to the match. I'm also wondering, though, if we don't get Strong versus Cole before that, mm. though. Like, maybe that happens at Grand Slam or Russell Dream. Because um, we also, like, Joe attacks MJF at the end, um, and MJF is still, you know, playing up the neck injury. Um, so Cole comes out and makes the save, um, and then that brings out Roderick Strong, who's complaining <laughs> because <laughs> Cole doesn't care about his neck health. So, I mean, <laughs> he literally has a shirt now that says neck strong. <laughs> Absolutely. I love this character, like this jilted, like ex-girlfriend character that he's doing. 
Um, they're really leading into it big time. Um, like he didn't even come out to music. It was just him screaming at him again. <laughs> but this is like the most character I've ever seen out of Roderick Strong. So uh-huh. I don't know. I-, I love it. So, um, but yeah, I could see, you know, Cole versus Strong, at least on one of the bigger cards coming up. Uh, but, you know, who knows? I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe we do get a triple threat of some sort. Otherwise, we had Chris Statlander versus uh, Emi Sakura. And, uh, I mean, it was it was a great match, but I don't remember the last time Emi was even on Dynamite. It's been quite a while. So to have this match, like, follow the Moxley-AR Fox match, which, once again, felt like a glorified enhancement match, just felt, like, ill-conceived. Um, but it feels like Tony's been doing a lot of like these kind of like glorified like enhancement matches lately, especially on Collision. Um, I don't know. I don't get it. I mean, you've got one of the biggest rosters in the world, if not the biggest, you know, roster in the world. So, like, I, I and that's nothing against Emmy or AR Fox, but you're not building them like actual contenders, so it's hard to take them seriously. Uh, and you've got a lot of other wrestlers backstage who are legitimate like contenders. So why not feature some of them once in a while? Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, it was a good match, though. You know, and Emmy definitely deserves to be featured more. So hopefully, like, this will be the start of something for her. Um, but, you know, otherwise, I think probably my favorite moment of Dynamite was the interaction between Hangman Page and Swerve. Um, Hangman Page came out uh, to the ring, they made an announcement about, you know, uh, the charity that he's donating the money from his big uh, battle royal win uh, from the pay per view, which was actually featured on Zero Hour, the pre show. Um, mm-hmm. which I felt like there was a storyline element to all that because it felt really weird for Hangman to be on the pre show. Uh, and sure enough, Swerve came out. Uh, getting in Hangman's face, um, basically telling him he doesn't deserve the spot that he has and that he's grown complacent, um, that he's just happy basically, you know, cashing a check and hanging out with his friends. I'm paraphrasing. It was a much better promo than that. But I mean, (laughs) Swerve, once again, I mean, he's just such a fantastic villain. Um, I'm happy that, you know, he's going toe-to-toe with the main event player like, you know, Hangman Page. Hopefully it just leads to bigger and better things, you know, for Swerve. Um, but I thought this was a really interesting, like, wrinkle for the Hangman character also. Uh, because, I mean, he has been kind of lost in the shuffle for the last six months, really. Like, you know, he had the feud with Moxley that led to, like, you know, him, you know, reuniting with the Elite but ever since then, I feel like he's just been kind of like a background player. Um, and I think there's something to that. Like, you can kind of tell that story of, like, you know, the time he's with the Elite, it feels detrimental to his career almost. Um, like I said, he kind of gets lost in the shuffle. So, um, I don't know. We'll see where that all leads. Um, but hopefully it just, you know, ends up leading to bigger and better things for Swerve, because I feel like he is, like, a main eventer in the waiting. 
even had a great line um, saying that, like, if he had all the opportunities that Hangman has had over the past couple of years, he'd be the first black AEW champion at this point. So, um, I don't know, man. Like, like I said, I love Swerve. Um, I hope Tony, like, recognizes what he has in him um, because he's just, like, knocking it out of the park every time he gets the opportunity. Yeah, I, I like, I'm hoping by next year, you know, he will be in some at least big title match. He doesn't have to win, but at, at least, you know, get, give him that kind of rub in the future. That, I, he deserves to be on top of this company. Uh, he is definitely a main event star. No, I, I agree. I agree 100%. Uh, speaking of, you know, people who definitely deserve to get pushed, Powerhouse Hobbs, we didn't talk about <laughs> him and Miro's fucking match at the pay-per-view. <laughs> Uh, and all the fantastic meat chants that we're getting. Yes. Uh, I was definitely disappointed that Hobbs didn't go over, but I think it was one of those cases where even in losing, he still went over. Uh, but let's capitalize on that momentum. Because uh, <laughs> holy shit was, I mean, the, I mean, the fans were just so into the match. And I think part uh -huh. of it's, it's a match that, the kind of match we don't get often from AEW. So, um, I don't know. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, Lana's back. Um, what, what? What's her actual? CJ Perry, right? CJ Perry. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, we'll see where that all leads for Miro. Um, but I really do feel like it kind of elevated Hobbs. Um, and he's another wrestler like Swerve, who definitely deserves more opportunities. And when there's two full shows, there's no reason not to give no. these guys any opportunity. Well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five-star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by TheAmazingNerdShow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some Nerd Show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional Nerd Show swag as long as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture. And whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. You know, I love this weapon more than any other thing in the whole wide world. You want to know why? No. It's memorable. Sure, it's a little bulky, tough to get on a plane. You whip out a couple of swords at your ex-girlfriend's wedding, they will never, ever forget it. That's funny, Wade. I think you confuse me with someone who gives a shit. <laughs>